It's time for Steve Robbins, host of the Get It Done Guy podcast at getitdone.quickanddirtytips.com. Today, Stever is with Bob Berg, author of the current bestseller, The Go-Giver. They're talking about giving to advance your cause. Bob, welcome. Hey, thanks, Stever. It's great to be here. My pleasure. So could you start by telling us what is the premise of the book? Well, the premise really is, is simply that shifting one's focus from getting to giving, meaning constantly and consistently adding value to people's lives, is not only a nice way to live life, but a very profitable way as well. Okay. So adding value to people's lives. Can you say a little bit about that? What, what exactly does that mean? It could include a whole lot of things. I mean, in, in terms of, of business, it means going above and beyond uh, more than most people today will. And so often you hear today, oh, you know, customer service isn't what it used to be, and people just don't do the things they used to do. And, and you know, I think it's true. And because of that, it's so much easier to set yourself apart from others just from doing that little extra. And it doesn't have to be just in sales and business. It can be for, or it can be for someone, first of all, just with inter, interdepartmental within a company. It can also be as a friend. It can also be, you know, so there's, there's, there's no uh, lack of ways that we can add value to people's lives. And, you know, everything we talk about as far as prospering through this shift in focus, it has to do with financial, but it also has to do with mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, in, in any way that you want to improve your own life by shifting the focus from, from taking to actually giving uh, that's what's going to really set it off. Can you help me get concrete? Let's say I'm a middle manager somewhere, and I've got a thousand things that I have to do today and a dozen people that I'm interacting with. And I'm going down my list, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to be talking to Sarah about the new warehouse plans. I really need for her to just tell me what the square footage is and give me all the statistics because I've got to get that over to my other people immediately. That's I'm thinking of that in a taking mode where – I need to I need to just get these numbers from Sarah and zip them over. What would an orientation that's more of a giving orientation be? Well, I don't I don't think that's an illegitimate thing to do. I mean, there's there's the you know that person needs the answers right there, <laughs> you know, and needs them to perform a function. You know, we, we can also talk about time management and we can talk about getting things done the correct way so it benefits everyone by. Uh, by having it done quickly and succinctly. So I don't think it's a matter of, of so much just taking. It would be a matter of, of, of taking if you were asking that person to do something that really they they wouldn't necessarily need to be doing just as a part of their job. Uh, you know, the, the whole thing more is is when you're not needing something just from that person right now, are you giving value to them and making them feel valued? Are you giving value to them and making them feel good about themselves? Are you going to send maybe that person a note afterwards, a personal handwritten note, instead of a, an email saying, thank you so much, I needed the information right then, and you got it to me. I always appreciate the great job you're doing. Are you adding value to that person's life by telling other people how great she did for you? You know what I'm saying? So it's not that the receiving from her is a bad thing. That's actually one of the five laws, uh, you know, the law of receptivity. It's how much more you're adding in value to her than you expect her to give. Okay, so you just very quickly zipped through several types of value that are, that are pretty interesting. Uh, thank you. And that's really, I think, what it's all about, Stever. Uh, it's finding ways to creatively add value to the lives of other people. Remember, adding value to someone else is also a pat on the back. 
You know, it's also being there with a kind word or a listening ear. It's knowing that if they have an interest in uh, antiques and you see an article on antiques that you think might you, that would be interesting, giving it to that person. Not only is it helpful to that person, but they've seen that you value them enough to do something like that. So those are those little things we can do to constantly add value to people's lives. And again, that goes back to the shifting in focus. And as long as you're shifting the focus for, you know, to giving. Oh, you're going to be receiving plenty. That's not an issue. I see. So someone does, well, you know, it's, I'm thinking there was a project that I was involved in, and one of the other people on the team was only part-time on this project. And the question was how to get them to be able to contribute more time to the project. It was very frustrating that they, they weren't able to. And one of the solutions that we came up with was, even though we didn't have to do this, just voluntarily going over and offering to help on the other project that had nothing to do with our work group and just say, hey, can I stop by, help you out there as a way of giving that person the support they needed to be able to do everything, part of which ended up coming back to us in the form of their participation in our team. And that's, and that's terrific. That's, that's just a, such a great way of being. And what that does really, and what's so terrific about that, is many people, Stever, would say, oh, well, uh, why should we do that for him? You know, there's no reason to. Or what if he doesn't come back and do for us? Oh, then we've wasted our time. But you didn't think of it that way. You thought, how can I add some value to that person's life? And you did. And it came back in a really great way. Now, should I not expect something back? It's not that you shouldn't expect it back. It's that you're not emotionally attached to having it come back. Uh, and I, I call this the, the paradox of giving and receiving. I mean, we know that the more we give, the more we're going to receive. Not only is it a great spiritual principle, it has its basis in, in, in so many practical ways. <laughs> okay? And so, uh, so we know that the more we give, 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 we're going to get, get, get. However, we can't be emotionally attached we can't be demanding of getting back, because as soon as we do that, we haven't really given anything. We've just traded. And when we do that, that's the reputation we're going to get. People are going to know that if we do something for them, it's because we have an agenda. Meanwhile, when you freely give of your time, of your resources, now again, this, this has nothing to do with being anybody's doormat. Please don't get me wrong. But when you do this in an intelligent manner, uh, you end up creating so many seeds of goodwill that, it, that it's naturally going to come back to you. You're going to develop those what I call know-you-like-you-trust-you relationships with people where people want to do for you. They want to see you succeed and be of, of help to you. You know, it's funny when you say this. Consider for a moment a community where everyone spends all of their time giving to everyone else versus a community where everyone spends all of their time taking from everyone else. I would rather live in a community where I have of 100 people where I have 99 other people all giving to me and I spend all of my time giving to them because then I have 99 people looking out for me than live in a community where everyone is supposed to take care of themselves, in which case I only have me looking out for me. Well, exactly. And see, and, and it's interesting because with the name of the book being The Go-Giver, people have said, well, Bob, are you saying it's bad to be a go-getter? And, and John and I haven't said that at all. In fact, what we say is, the opposite of a go-giver is not a go-getter. Go-getter is a great. A go-getter is someone who makes things happen. Um, the opposite of a go-giver is a go-taker. And, you know, that person who feels sort of entitled to take, 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 without having added value to the process, the person, the relationship, what have you. So go-getters are great. Many go-getters go are also go-givers. It's the go-takers we need to watch out for. When you talk about adding value, 
I'm assuming this means adding value in the eyes of the person who you're giving to. Well, that's a, a, an excellent, excellent uh, thought, and I'll tell you why. Marshall uh, um, Goldsmith, in his book, What Got You uh, Here Won't Get You There, talks about the mistake many people make, especially in upper management and leadership roles, of what he calls adding value that's not welcome to the recipient. <laughs> and, of course, in that case, Steve, it's not value. And so you're right. Value is always in the eyes of the beholder. Uh Value is the, I would define value as the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user. So what we might think of as value, what we need to do is make sure that the other person sees as value. Right. I love tattoos. I want to get tattoos over every inch of my body. I'm going to give you a tattoo for Christmas. Maybe not. Right. That's a great example. I know there's been some happiness research recently about the effects of spending money by Professor Michael Norton at Harvard Business School was one of the co-authors. And they concluded something along the lines of people are actually happier if they spend money on other people versus spending it on themselves. Are you familiar with this research? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was great. I, that, uh, I thought that was a, a terrific article they wrote. That just strikes me as the sort of thing that ties right into this whole in, into the whole idea that you know giving not only can giving be good for the other person, but you yourself may be happier after you give. It is, and that's why you know a lot of times when someone's very depressed, the best thing they can do is get outside of themselves and maybe go volunteer somewhere, volunteer at the Humane Society, volunteer at a soup kitchen, volunteer go to a go to a, a nursing home, uh, go somewhere where you can take where you can. Instead of being I-focused, you can be other-focused. And it makes us, when we, when we get outside of ourselves and focus on giving to others, we actually feel it, 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 it's as good a gift to ourselves as it is to the other person. The up-and-coming generation, I've heard, is much more likely to get involved in socially conscious tasks and things. So that may actually become more of a common thing, hopefully, that even just occurs to people as a natural part of their lives. Well, you know, it's interesting, Steve, because I think we are a, a very giving society. It doesn't have to be a, a Katrina or 9-11 or Hurricane Andrew or, or some other event to get people, to get people giving. It's, it's, uh, I, I find that, you know, well, let's look this way. There are thousands and thousands of charities and foundations out there giving billions and billions of dollars to people. As a matter of fact, the, the Giving USA Foundation... Uh, in its Giving USA 2007 Yearbook of Philanthropy, revealed that donors gave an estimated $295.2 billion in 2006, which was a 4.2% increase over 2005. So, you know, I think people are, by their very nature, at least in this country, and this, you know, this is all I really know, it, that they are givers. I, I think what happens is we hear so much, we read so much in the news, or we hear so much in the, in the media of those people who just want to take because that sells more. You know, it sells more advertising. That you know, that we're not always such aware of the fact that we are a giving people, and so I think when you know when people feel that there is a cause worthy of giving to, they'll step up to the plate and they'll do it. And I, and I think you're right; the younger generation is is kind of getting uh, getting to see that more and more, and I think that's a, a wonderful thing. The main character in your book, Joe, is really a go taker, or at least a go getter, on the edge of being a go taker. What if you're that kind of person? What if you wake up in the morning and it just doesn't occur to you, gee, I want to go out and be more of a go-giver? That's just not who I am. Well, if it doesn't occur to the person, 
then nothing's probably going to happen. Uh, and one of the reasons why John and I wrote this book is because we wanted to kind of get the word out there more and more, and we find that the people who have grabbed onto it are already successful go-givers who are wanting to pass the word on to the Joes of the world out there. But if the person does know that this is something they should do, let's say, for example, that this person realizes that the way they are now, they're just not that successful. They're not where they want to be. And so now they have a conscious awareness of the fact that maybe this is something that they should that they should be doing. But as you said, you know, they don't really feel like they're that type of person. How do they become that kind of person? And really it comes down to three words, and those words are act as if. Act as if you are that person, and you'll become that person. So many people think we have to feel a certain way before we act it, and that's, act, that's actually backwards, you know. Um, Action precedes feelings. Uh, example, if you're, if you're unhappy, well, by all means, don't wait until you feel like you're in a good mood to begin smiling. It probably won't happen for a while. Instead, just get a big old inside-out smile on your face, and you'll see. You'll start to feel better. If you're feeling tired and, and lazy and draggy, well, stand up straight, start walking fast and tall and so forth, and you'll feel a lot better. It's the same with this. Uh, be a go-giver. Just start acting as if you are a go-giver, and it will happen. Two things will happen. One is you're going to love the results. Two, you're going to then love the way you feel, and you truly will be that person. So let's talk then about what are the five laws that define a go-giver. If I've decided I'm going to start acting as one, what are the, what are the things I need to do? Well, the five laws uh, are uh, basically law number one is the law of value, which says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Well, this, this sounds sort of counterproductive, of course. How do you give more in value than you take in payment and not go out of business? We just need to understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure, where value is the, the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user. In other words, price and value are two different things. Price is the, the, the money amount. It's the dollar amount. It's the accountant who charges a $500 fee to do your taxes, but, give, but saves you over $2,000. So while the, while the price is $500, the value is over $2,000. I love what Wallace Waddles, author of the 1910 classic, The Science of Getting Rich, says. He says, give every person more in use value than you take from them in cash value. That way you add to the life of the world with every business transaction. And that's really you know, what we want to do in any type of relationship, whether it's business or personal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Now, number two is the law of compensation, which is uh, that your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us the more people whose lives you add that kind of exceptional value to, uh, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. Um, it, you know, the accountant who did such a great job of providing so much more in value than he took in payment, well, you know, you probably, if you're his, account, if you're his client, you probably are very happy with him. You do business with him again, and you want to tell others about him. And, you know, that's sort of how it works. I remember when I was just starting in sales and starting to get my legs and, and so forth, I remember a, kind of an old codger saying, Berg in sales, the, uh, you know, your target should not be money. Your target should be serving. Uh, now, if you hit your target enough times, you'll get a reward, and that reward will be money. But the money's not the target. The money is just the reward. The target is serving others. And he said, keep your priorities straight. And I thought that was great advice. Absolutely. Now, you imply something there. You say about it's how many people 
as well you serve. So if I've got an accountant and I love my accountant, but my accountant only has one client, me, then they're still going to be pretty limited no matter how much they give because I'm there's a limit to how much I'm going to be able to pay them as a sole client. That's exactly right. So yeah, it's perfect. It's, so it's not just a matter of value. It's also a matter of reach. Okay. So reach reach is a big one here. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, I guess we could say that, you know, law number one talks about the value you provide. Law number two talks about how you get um, financially rewarded for the value you provide. And you do that by finding a lot of people to serve as, and serving them well. And law number three... Law number three is the law of influence, which says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first, which, again, sounds counterproductive uh, until you realize how practical it is, because, again, all things being equal, people do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And, you know, there's no faster, quicker, more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you and others than by always trying to find a way to put them first, to try to add value to their life without worrying about how it's going to come back to you. Absolutely. And law number four. Law number four is the law of authenticity, which says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And as Deborah in the book found out, all the the, the, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills in the world are all for naught if you're not yourself, if you don't communicate that yourself, if you don't come across as having that type of integrity where what you think and what you say and what you do are in total congruence. Yet if you do have that, there's a power to it. It takes those sales skills, technical skills, people skills, and it multiplies their effectiveness geometrically. Now, I know this has been one of the things that has been a trick for me in my adult life, has been I went to Harvard Business School, and if you've ever met me, which you haven't, but I'm not exactly the HBS type. And I spent many years afterwards trying to be the HBS type. And frankly, it just didn't work. And a lot of the last several years have been me going, you know what, authenticity is better. A, I can do it better. And B, it's it just is more <laughs> way more comfortable in my skin. And people seem to like me better when I do it. Oh, exactly. Ab- absolutely. And, you, you know, you, you discovered something about yourself, and that was you're more effective when you're Stever. Yes. Now, how? what advice would you give someone who is back where I was a few years ago, where they, you know, they're busy pretending to be high-powered corporate doodah or whatever, but that really isn't who they are. It's not what they care about. Well, again, that first step is just consciousness. It's being aware. And, you know, I, I really find it, and, you know, I, and I struggle with this in my own life as far as consciousness. You know, I'm reading that great book by Eckhart Tolle right now, uh, A New Earth, that I find, I, you know, I love what he talks about with the ego. And I, I love what he talks about as far as consciousness and being aware. And it's just so true, and I, I find myself catching myself so often and always having to be aware of it. Uh, you know, but once we are, once we are conscious of this, once we are conscious that we're not being ourselves, that we're doing something because we think it's expected of us or we're supposed to play a certain role, now we're in a position of strength. Now we're in a position to say, okay, I know what I've been doing that isn't correct. I know what I need to do. Now it's a matter of, of taking the action and doing it. Okay. And how about law number five? Well, this pulls it all together. This is the law of receptivity. And this simply says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. Uh, you know, in the, the, in the story, we have the, uh, the mentor, Pindar, asking Joe to breathe out and breathe out only for 30 seconds. And Joe, of course, runs out of, uh, of, of air very quickly. And finally, 
finally, you know, I can't do it. I have to breathe in, too. And, and Pindar says, well, Joe, but what if I told you it's been medically proven that it's healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe says, well, that's silly. You've got to do both. You've got to breathe out, and you've got to breathe in. Well, exactly. That's exactly what it's about. We've got to do both. We breathe out, and we breathe in. We breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receiving. And, and the whole world works that way. And giving and receiving are really just two sides of the same coin. And to try to focus on just one and, you know, minimizing the other, it's not only an exercise in futility, it's actually the key of, of counterproductivity. Because, you know, it just doesn't work out for everyone. Every giving is possible only because it's also a receiving. So we need to allow ourselves to also receive. And that's one of the biggest challenges many people have, is allowing themselves to receive. If I'm someone who, who just doesn't know how to receive, what do I do about that? Well, one of the, 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 the great ways to allow yourself to, aside from just making the decision that it's something to work on, is to understand that as long as you are always constantly, consistently providing value to others, you have a right to receive. Uh, you know, another thing to do is, is you know, pick up and read a book on, on, uh, on self-image and self-esteem and, and find out why you're not allowing yourself to receive. Because there are many times when we don't allow ourselves to receive, there's a reason for it. There's an unconscious reason. And we need to, again, become conscious of what that is. We're only going to allow ourselves to receive as much as our self-esteem says we deserve to receive. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, this kind of thing is, is something we always need to, to, to check ourselves on. Even just the other day, I, uh, our bookkeeper was in the office, and she was using a pen that I, I had thought had a really cool design on it. It wasn't an expensive pen, but it had a nice design. And I asked her where she got it because I wanted to go buy one. And she goes, oh, no, here, take it. I've got plenty. And I said, oh, I can't take your pen. And she said, no, no, really, it's yours. I've got plenty. I said, no, no, I wouldn't feel right. She said, why not? I said, I don't know, Trina. I just wouldn't feel right taking your pen. It's yours. And she said, Bob, it's really a simple two-step process. Number one, take the pen. Number two, say thank you. Ah. And, you know, she was right. And so how often, you know, and here I am talking about receptivity, and I wasn't allowing her to have the pleasure of giving me, a, you know, just an inexpensive pen. Right. Well, jeepers, I've, next time we meet in person, I've got a pen for you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and I will receive it with pleasure and gratitude. Practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. So can you tell, say a little bit about how you use this not in business? Oh, well, let's, uh, let's take an example. Let's say we're talking about wanting to lose weight. Let's say we're wanting to lose 10 pounds and reshape our body a little bit. Wow, this is sure a well-timed hypothetical, says the man who's trying to lose 10 pounds. And... Uh, you know, let's talk about focusing on, on giving instead of receiving in the process, adding value to the process. You don't say, uh, okay, well, I'll tell you what, once I, start, once I lose 10 pounds and look better, then I'll start eating better and working out. No, you add value to the process first. You get on a program, you start eating healthier, you start working out, you start doing your cardio and resistance training, and you know you do this consistently for a week and you look at the scale and nothing happens. You look in the mirror, there's no change, but you continue to add value to the process. And a week later, you've dropped a pound and you still don't look much different. You keep adding value to the process and now you've dropped another three pounds and your body's looking a little bit better. Now, after six weeks of, of giving, you've received a lot more back than you ever gave. You've lost 10 pounds. Your body looks better. You have more energy. You know what I'm saying? But it's still the type of thing where you added value to the process first. You did what you needed to do, 
and then you allowed yourself to receive the results. Ah. Now, if I'm not being attached to the outcome, I'm going to continue to go to the gym and continue to add value to the process, and eventually the outcome probably will happen regardless. Oh, absolutely. And, it, you know, when you follow a system, because remember, there's, there's nothing in this book that says, you know, just think wishfully and, and give and don't, you know, no, we're not saying that at all. You still want to follow systems. When there's a right way to do something, there's a right way to do something. You know, I define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. If you want to lose weight, well, you get, you know, you get a book on it or you go to a trainer and you, or you, you, know, you, you take advice from someone, you learn how to do it, you eat right, and you, you exercise, and then you do what you have to do without the emotional attachment to the results. But that still doesn't mean you just think wishfully for it to happen. You, know, you still go about doing what you need to do. Right. It's, um, what do they say? Uh, something about luck favors the prepared mind and oh, har- hard work prepares the mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no question about it. Um, excellent. I'm noticing we're just about out of time. Is there anything you'd like me to ask that you would love to talk about that I haven't had a chance to ask yet? No, I think you've covered everything beautifully. We would love to uh, offer anyone um, listening a, a free downloadable uh, copy of Chapter 1 if they'd like to come to www.thegogiver.com. And uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. My pleasure. Well, thank you very much. It has been delightful. Thank you. You've been listening to Steve Robbins and Bob Berg. You can find Bob at www.thegogiver.com. And you can find Stever at steverrobbins.com and getadoneguy.com. Mm-hmm.